0: Would you pray along with me, please? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the sweet truth of that song that we just sang, that you are so good to us. We need only look around the room and see your goodness, we need only look to the cross to see your grace. And we need only keep looking up to see your glory. So Lord, I pray now that as we continue to worship you in the word, you would open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your truth, that we would be reminded of who you are, who we are to you, and what you have left us here to do. And that is to display your glory to a people that need to see you. Lord, meet with us now in this place in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Please have a seat and grab your Bibles as you do, please, and if you're uh, like me and you have your Bible in your lap, I would ask you to just pick it up so you can feel the weight of it. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we will have someone put a Bible in your hand, but everybody should have a Bible or a Bible-like substance. I know some of you use electronic devices, and that's okay, too. Um, but have a Bible and hold it in your hand. What you hold in your hand right now is the best-selling book of all time. Right? It is written over a period of 1,500 years by some 40 authors in 13 different countries speaking three different languages. And it comes together in one book that we call the Bible. This one book is consists of 66 small books, some... what was it 1200 chapters some 3200 verses and almost 8000 words 800000 words and yet all of those things speak to one point it conveys one problem sin it conveys one plan of salvation Jesus Christ it conveys one way to live through the Word. It conveys one standard of morality, and it's not ours. It conveys one model for marriage. It conveys one plan for the ages. Its theme is God's love. Its object is Jesus Christ. Its call is redemption. And its call in our lives is to repent and believe in the Gospel. But what is at the center of this book in your life? When you come to it and you read it and you open it, that we're, as we're going to do in a minute, are you reading yourself into it or are you reading Jesus Christ out of it? Because that's what this book is about. It is about our Lord Jesus Christ. It conveys, uh, fundamentally there are two truths in the Bible. God exists. I am real, he says. And I choose to make myself known two ways by my word, and through my people. That's it. That's the message. That's why as we finish up this series that we've been in since the first of September in the toolkit, it's important that we don't just set this aside, but we also don't look at it and go, okay, I need to go through this front-to-back, cover-to-cover all the time. This is just what the title talks about. It's a toolkit. It's a resource. It's an opportunity for us. As God crosses your path intentionally, with people in your life and you start to engage with them as Jeff was talking about and as Josh was sharing and you see where their struggles are you might go oh I know One of th- this person seems to be struggling with some forgiveness issues hey that's right there's a topic like that in, for, in, in the toolkit I could just go to it and I can find some Bible verses because God will reveal to that person his truth through his truth and through you so see it for what it is as an opportunity to be used by him. We went through 19 different topics, everything from, we started in September talking about the things of God, we went through the tough questions that people ask, we talked about the necessity of engaging in the call, the gospel of grace, a God who is sovereign, then it was the word of God, prayer the Holy Spirit, knowing God's will, forgive Then, then we took a break for Advent, we came back in the new year, we talked about forgiveness and renewing your mind to start 2019, the one another's victory and assurance, obeying Jesus as Lord, spiritual warfare, marriage matters, family shepherding, and today I'm going to talk to you about shepherding one another. That is today's message. But why? Why is that message important? Why is it important for us to be about the business of discipleship and planting churches? you remember how we started this whole series it's the series title is called upon this rock and as jesus was walking with his disciples about halfway through his earthly ministry he's talking to them he says hey guys who do the people say that i am who does the world say that i am and they say well some say jonah and some say elijah and some say the prophets and he turns to them and he says huddle up gentlemen who do you say that i am that is the question of life who do you say Jesus is? The answer to that question absolutely positively defines your eternity. And Peter pipes up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, good job, Peter. My dad told you that answer, but I'll give you the credit you anyway. And then he says this, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What rock? The rock, the gospel rock. The Peter's proclamation that you are the Christ. You are the promised one. You are the Messiah that this whole book talks about. On that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, no matter how dark the darkness seems, will not prevail against it. Guys, God's plan has always been to reveal God's glory through God's people as we take the fight right to the gates of hell. That's the reality. We need not fear the darkness because he is greater. So as we talk about shepherding today, I want to ask a question. Okay, we've been through this whole thing for 20-something weeks, so what's the point, Doug? What's the point, Brian? What's the point, Mark? What's the point, Mo? And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's see how our text today answers that question. Open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is a letter written to the church at Colossae by the Apostle Paul. A church he loved well. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 1 of Colossians. And we're going to see that Paul is going to show us the point is he has and is all things so let's start in verse 13 of chapter 1 of colossians it says for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins there's several places in this passage we could just stop talk about it for a minute meditate on the reality of that and say amen and be done because there is so much power packed into those two verses. It's unthinkable that through him we have redemption. We have been bought back and we have the forgiveness of sin. Keep your finger in Colossians. Turn to the left. Just, cut, just one book. You're going to go past Philippians. You're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Because one of the best interpretations of Scripture is Scripture. It's one of the things we talk about here. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. So in Ephesians, another letter written by Paul, Paul expands on this point. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, this is Paul's commentary on what he wrote in Colossians. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful to Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us as adoption, us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed, bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him, here it is again, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Guys, He doesn't just drip out His grace. He doesn't just sprinkle His redemption. You are lavishly loved. You are fully redeemed if you are in Christ but let's keep going back in Colossians, pick it up in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or all things that have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things are held together. So just like our salvation is all through him, our crea- the creation and our very being and existence is all for him. Again, keep your finger here on Colossians and turn to the left a little further, back to the Gospel of John. So you're going to go to the left, past some big books like the Corinthian books and Romans and Acts. You're going to get to the Gospel of John. If you get to Luke, you've gone too far. John chapter 1. A familiar passage here. It's one of my favorites because it, it, it puts Jesus in his rightful context. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's the he? Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word there for Word is logos. That means the entire message of the Word of God, as opposed to rhema, which is like the individual parts of the Word of God. So he's saying, in the beginning was the logos, the message. What was the message? The message was that God is a gracious, loving God. Now jump down to verse 14 real quick. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word, the message, became a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Now pick it back up in verse 3, the top of the chapter. All things came into being through him and apart from him nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, jump back down to verse 14, the second half of that verse. And we saw his glory the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you are his, you're only his one way, and that's when you have beheld his glory. And that drops you to your knees, and you cry out, I am a sinner in desperate need of salvation. Let's go back to Colossians. And it's so funny, after all this grandeur, we, we, we've only gotten through the first few verses, and, and Paul, it's, the book of Colossians is such a rich letter and in all of this, he, it's like Paul's getting himself so spun up because he's so excited about who Jesus is. He now gets to this place in verse... Where did I leave us? 15? No. 18? He says... In verse 18, he says, He also is the head of the body. Now, if, if you're reading out of the ESV or something, it, it actually says... And also, it's like he's saying. It's like Paul is saying in the transition between verses 17 and 18. He's saying, and as if it wasn't enough that he redeemed you and that he created everything, he is also this. So Paul's pretty excited about what this this is. And he says he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to be first place in everything. He's saying, and not only this, but there's the church. I'm like, I'll be honest. In light of like all of creation and my salvation, I'm like, okay, the church. Paul is like extremely excited about the, about the existence of the church and the fact that Jesus is the firstborn of that. Now, that doesn't mean he was created. Firstborn and first place simply is a, is a title for a place of honor in their culture. The firstborn son was the most honorable in the family. So when he's saying he's saying that Jesus was the first and the one to be honored in the church. Guys, this is not Doug's church. Cornerstone is not the elder's church. Cornerstone is not even our church. It's his church. He is the one building it. He is the one created it. He is the one knitting it together. It is all him. But it doesn't change the fact that he has called us into this local body for a purpose. What's the purpose? Guys, the church was created by someone who asks us to do something. The church was created by someone who asked us to do something. And I'm not talking about Cornerstone Church was created by Doug and a group of leaders eight years ago that we celebrated last Sunday. I'm talking about the church, the the actual body of Christ was created by someone. Who's the someone? Jesus. To do something. What's the something? To make him known. That's it. The church was not created to to be a self-help group. The church was not created to be a place where we can just sit around and be warm and be fed. The church was not created to be um, a, uh, like, like some, small, um, some small group or a, um, just like a like-minded group of people gathering together. The church was supernaturally created and supernaturally fit together to display the body of Christ that is no longer here on the earth. Except for us. We are his physical body walking around. Together we are, not individually. Not a single one of you can be Jesus by yourself. I'll let you in on a little secret. But together we can be, and we're called to be. Because if we don't get that, we don't get the rest of this message. We don't get the rest of, frankly, this message. If we don't get the purpose that we're here, what's the point? The question today is, okay, so what's the point? If we don't get that the point is him and the point is to point to him, then we miss the point altogether about why we even exist. Do you know that just, just in the six verses we've read so far, the pronoun he or him is used 13 times. Not talking about you and me. Not talking about Paul, not talking about Titus or Timothy or talking about him. Thirteen times, six verses. Who's the point? Jesus is the point. So, he has and is all things for us. The second point he's going to make is, he is the way of peace. But I don't know where I left you, but we're back in Colossians and picking it up in verse 19. Verse 19, it says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through, the, through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Verse 20, he made peace. How? He reconciled us. How? Through the, through the bloody death of his son. Pick it up in verse 23. If indeed you continue in faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this point, but I don't want you to get the message that this point doesn't matter. This may be the most important point in the text. The fact that we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it is because for our Advent season, we did a whole message out of the book of Romans about how we have peace with God. Go back, December 2nd was the date, go back and listen to it or watch it online. But again, I want to let Scripture interpret Scripture, so go back to the left to Ephesians again, and let's let Paul bring this part of this message home. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is the gospel. This is how we are reconciled. Right here, in these ten verses. If you haven't listened to anything else today, and plan not to listen to anything else that comes out of my mouth today, okay, please, I beg you, listen to these next ten verses. Because this is God's word. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan and his demons, and they are real, and we learned about that. Among them, you too formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest Two of the best words in the Bible right here, guys. Mine's highlighted, underlined, and circled. But God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated it, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, in the ages to come, we might show surpassing riches of his grace in the kind, in his kindness towards us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. We did a series on the Beatitudes a while back, but that sons of God has always stuck out to me because it's probably out of all the things he says is probably the highest thing he can give us because sons of God or sons and daughters of the Most High, which is what you are when you're in Christ, means that we are about the family's business. When you are a peacemaker, you are about the business of your heavenly Father. And that's what he is doing is making peace with the world. The only way he could, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So he has and is all things for us. He is the way of peace for us. And finally, he is the hope of glory. So back in Colossians, we'll pick it up in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Where is Paul's outflow? So here, Paul, so typical of Paul in his letters. He writes about the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus. He writes about how wonderful grace and God's love is and how overwhelming that is. And then he always immediately turns it to, and so here's what I do. Here's what you should do. What is Paul? It, it, so he's saying in light of all that we just read and the beauty that is Christ, what is Paul's outflow? What does it say? It says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and my flesh on behalf of, the, on behalf of his body, which is the church. That is Paul's outflow. He's saying, he's saying I, I, what I give back to God has to be about his bride it's not my own deal. It's not my own thing. It's not my little, it's not my, it's not my small group. It's not my, it's, it's not just a group. Guys, the church is not just a group of Christians meeting together. That is not the church, nor is the church a building that has the word church on it. Neither of those extremes, there's a whole lot of really beautiful buildings out there that are stone cold, spiritually dead. And there's also a whole lot of people out there who've decided, you know what, I'm not really into the church thing, so I'm going to do my thing, and we're going to gather, and now we're the church, and that is just as much of an affront to Christ. So what is the church? Well, the Word tells us, and I don't have time to go into it. Again, in the beginning of the series, I taught on what the church is, so I'm not going to belabor it. But the church is elders and deacons and members and leaders. It is people being equipped for the work of service and being sent out to engage in the gospel. It is holding high the ordinances that Christ has called us to practice, like communion and like baptism. That's what the church is. If you have friends right now, and I know we all do, that say, you know what, I'm not into the church thing, but here I have this home Bible study group that I'm doing. Guys, that is not, it's not that's not bad. Read, studying the Bible is a good thing in all contexts, but don't let them linger there. doesn't mean you need to bring them here, just get them somewhere where they're going to hear the word. In a local body that is, that, that is about mutual accountability, that is about equipping the saints for the work of service that is about sending them out to engage in the gospel i wrote this down because i wanted to get it right the giving of our time talent and treasure what rj taught on last week in serving other noble christian causes is just that noble it is i am not telling you don't go do other stuff for jesus absolutely but using those things to serve him within the context of his local church brings him most glory guys if if that rubs against you the wrong way or you know people that would rub all i can tell you is take it up with jesus because he said it upon this rock i will build my church and then he went on to define for the rest of the new testament what the church is it's not left to us to define the bible tells us what it is let's pick it up in verse 25 of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from, from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. He's saying this, I was wonderfully ordained, I was brought into this place for one purpose, and that was to preach the Word. And that is over and over in Paul's writing. We'll see that when we get to 2 Timothy, Lord willing, after Resurrection Sunday, we'll start a series through the book of 2 Timothy. And, and that's what he's like, Timothy, preach the word. Because that's what's going to change lives. And the word, word there is, guess what? Logos again. He's like, preach the whole message of God's goodness. What's the real story? So what is, what is this whole story? This is, this is part of why he writes Colossians. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. That is, so I preach the word. Here's, here's the, he's sort of saying, because when Paul wrote this, the word wasn't finished yet. Right? We had not had the New Testament yet. He's writing the Word. He's being inspired by the Spirit to write this is the Word of God. He's saying, so here's, here's kind of the, not the finish of the story, because the finish of the story is when Jesus comes back, but here's the next step in the story. The mystery which has been hidden from ages past and generations, but has now been manifested to you as saints. whom God will to make known what is the riches of his glory in this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying God is no longer this God that meets in a temple or that you have to go through a priest with. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the good news. That's what the gospel message is. And then he also says, and it's in you, the collective you, the All. So what is the point? Well, the point is obviously him. It has two parts to the point. My answer has two parts. What's the point? The point is him. But the point as it it relates to us, and I alluded to it a a few minutes ago, is that we are to point people to him. That's the point of our life. So he is not just the hope of glory, but he is the hope of glory through you, through me, through his bride. If we don't get that, the world is literally going to go to hell. If we don't get this, the the desperate need to make disciples and plant churches, the world is going to go to hell. That's the mission of the church. Disciple. When he says, therefore, go and make disciples, actually in the Greek he just says, therefore, disciple. Just disciple. Disciple. As you're walking along, just tell people about me. Just train them up in me. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teach them to do what I've taught you to do. And then plant churches. How do we know that's the mission of the church? Jeff read it at the beginning. Because that's what the church did in the book of Acts. They made disciples and they planted churches. Finish it up in our last two verses. It says this. We, together proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in christ for this purpose i will also labor striving according to his power which is might which mightily works in me i'm gonna i'll I'll, I'll break down verse 28 in a minute but i want to point out something in verse 29 when he says striving it comes from the greek word that we get the word agony from he's saying it is for this purpose i do all of these things in verse 28 agonizing like I am desperate for the church to get this right this is not something Paul took lightly we know that because they ended up lopping his head off for what he did the word proclaim there just means I procl- we proclaim him we broadly so our, so our role proclaim him broadly share him to a world that needs to hear about him admonish that means to personally rebuke and correct behavior Guys, letting someone live in sin because you think you're loving them is the most unloving thing that you can possibly do. And I get that it takes a lot of prayer and wisdom and discernment, but guys, think about this. If you're walking down a road and you see a handicapped, and I know this is not really a Phoenix thing, but it could be, and you see a handicapped child laying on a railroad track, do you, do you just get on, and, and the train is coming? Do you get on your knees and start praying, Lord, what is your will for me in this? What would you have me do here? Lord, just, just help me to know like, the right thing. to No, you pick up the kid, right? That's the world. Guys, that's the world. Everyone apart from Christ is that handicapped kid laying on the railroad track, and the train is coming. And we're so busy praying about what God's will for us is, really really guys we gotta we just gotta get real and say man that's just an excuse and whether that's unto salvation or someone that you know a brother or sister in christ that you know is living in habitual sin and unrepentant about it i'm not talking about somebody who's struggling with sin and they're repenting and they're trying to we hi i'm doug i'm a sinner And I'm saying that flippantly, it's true. I still sin. Repent confess repent, confess it before the Lord, thank him for his grace, confess it to other brothers and sisters in Christ if you need to, and and keep going. But to just say, you know what, I don't want to speak the hard word, because it just doesn't seem very loving. My response is have you ever met Jesus Christ? So we press in, I love how Josh said this, as we, as we press into him and he puts his image into us, and then as we press into others to, to help their image be more like Christ, it's making us both, I love how Josh put it, it's making us both like Christ, right? We're both being, like, like that pressure makes us all look more like Jesus, last thing I want to point out is that word when he says we, that we might present every man complete in Christ. You say, wait a minute, Doug, doesn't that sound like what you just said about struggling with sin and raising your hand and saying that you still struggle? With that, that, that? He's, he's just saying here, complete. Like, so, so when are you complete? Well, the answer is in heaven. Right? Redemption has occurred, but renewal has not yet come. The word complete there is the same word Jesus uses from the cross, telestai. when he says it is finished with one massive difference. When Jesus says that word from the cross, te telestai, it's in the perfect tense. That means it is done, finished, no questions asked, once for all time. When, G- when Paul uses that word here, the Holy Spirit inspires him to say, it's in the active voice. You are in the process of being completed until the day of completion in Christ. Which is when we go see him in glory. So today's question, I'll ask it one more time. Okay, but what's the point? Another way to answer that question would be to ask another question. What is your life pointing to? What is your life pointing to? Because we are left here for a purpose. This whole series in the toolkit has been for a purpose, that it would equip us, that we that so that, not just so that we would be stronger Christians. It was to equip us so that we could equip other people. That's the mission. That's it. So, so that we might proclaim every man, every woman, every soul completing Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth that you are telling a grand story. It's a story of love and redemption. It's a story of grace and forgiveness. It's a story of power and renewal. And I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm frustrated that I'm stuck in this place where my life so often doesn't point to you. I need only look when I I get frustrated with those around me that have not come to know you as Lord and Savior. I need to look at myself and say, so what are you doing? What are you doing to show them me? That's what I hear you saying. What are we doing to show the world you? Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would recognize that all of this, all of it, every struggle that we're in, every hurt that we feel, every joy that we experience, our maturity, our struggles, our suffering, none of it is wasted on you. All of it is useful to you. All of it is being used by you for one purpose, and that is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ individually and collectively. Because that's your desire. Why? So that we would just be better people? No, Lord, I, I, know, I, I, I repent of that thinking. Not you in me that people would think much of me, but just you. Christ in Christ alone saves sinners. Christ and Christ alone will sanctify the saint. So Lord, I pray that we would get over ourselves, whether it be in, in the fear of man and how people think of us as we share Christ with an unbeliever or we maybe even admonish a brother or sister and we're worried about what, that is all sin from the pit of hell that the enemy is using to keep us off mission and in the name of Jesus Christ, I can. I just Compel him away from my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters that I love. Lord, may we be mighty weapons in the hands of a mighty warrior. When you come, you're coming. You are coming again and you are going to bring renewal and you're going to end it. We are in between the it is finished and it is done. And when the it is done is done, we will be fully done. But until that day comes, Lord, may we be mighty weapons and a mighty warrior. When you come back, you're not coming back as a lamb. You are coming back as a lion. You are coming back with eyes aflame and a tongue like a sword and mountains are going to melt like wax before the Lord. And at that point, it's too late. The train has come. So Lord, may we make the most of these times